um, well, we didn't we didn't talk about find your friendly neighborhood police officer or find a police officer. That was never yeah. in. I mean, that was just not the solution for us. That is the voice of my friend Renee Pearson, and this is Stacy Julian with episode seventy one of Exactly Enough Time. Exactly Enough Time is a podcast about being present, but especially this week, this is a podcast about being present. Today, especially, I want to recognize the time and the power I have, and I want to make the most of both. I want to leverage this, my personal channel, to invite curiosity, connection, and conversation so that together we can learn and decide to change. I am a life enthusiast and a believer. I tell stories, I interview amazing guests, and I'm so grateful that you choose to tune in. Thank you for listening. Wow, what a week. You guys, last week's episode was about genealogy, which is the basis of our family stories, our ancestry. I will introduce my friend Renee Pearson by saying that because her ancestry is different than mine, her experience in this country is and continues to be very different than mine. Of course, we all have different experiences, and those differences occur for a myriad of reasons. But the primary reason that Renee's experiences are so vastly different than mine is because her ancestors came to this country as slaves. Mine came as immigrants. I want and need to begin today by saying that I could wait to speak about today's topic until I am more comfortable and more knowledgeable, but instead I am choosing to harness the energy that my lack of understanding and discomfort is creating. I'm going to harness that energy to just try. Here's the disclaimer. I am most likely going to mess this up and say something wrong, or at least say it not quite right. There's a chance that my thoughts, or some of them, won't sit well with you. I've decided that this is okay. For sure, I enjoy podcasting about topics that are easier, softer. But after spending this last weekend reading and listening and watching and then reading some more, I know for me it is time. It's time that as a U.S. citizen who believes in the ideals of an inspired constitution, especially as a mother of young adult men who are all near in age to Ahmaud Arbery, at least the age he was before being shot and killed, as a person of great privilege, privilege that I am only recently beginning to understand and articulate, I want to try, try to do better, understand more, and begin to make a difference. I want to create a ripple, even a little tiny one, primarily in my home, in my local community, but also here with you. I want to show up in a way that might give anyone listening the permission to do the same, to just try 
and I believe you already are. I really like what Doc Rivers, head coach for the Los Angeles Clippers said. He said, this isn't an African-American issue. This is a human issue. Our society must start getting comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation and do the right thing. Silence and inactivity are not acceptable anymore. Now is the time to speak. So that's what I'm going to do. Start speaking. But first, I want to listen and learn. And I immediately thought of my friend and former colleague, Renee Pearson, to see if she would simply talk to me. Gratefully, she said yes. So part of today's episode is our conversation. I may interrupt it here and there, but let's start with Renee. Okay, you guys, I have now with me my friend Renee Pearson. Hi, Renee. Hi, Stacy. It's <laughs> so good. Thank you so much for your willingness to come on my podcast for a little bit and share some thoughts and experiences. I, um, I want to start by telling my version of the story of how we know each other and how we came to work together many years ago at Simple Scrapbooks Magazine. This is how I remember it, Renee. I was in my little basement office typing away, and I got an email from you, and you introduced yourself, and um, you talked about your abilities with digital scrapbooking. You talked about reading my magazine and noticing that there were um, that there was a lack of expertise in this area, <laughs> <laughs> and you generously offered your help. And um, there was nothing about your email that I didn't like. You know what I mean? I you kind of called me out on you're the editor of this publication. Here, here's a gap in what you're presenting, and and yet you know you didn't. You, you were just kind and you were just, um, I could tell that you were very intelligent and that you had this experience. And I knew it the minute I read your email, I'm like, yes, I totally need a digital scrapbooking expert. <laughs> so I don't know that I remember what happened from there. Probably we gave you an assignment maybe to write an article. Yeah. I um, don't do you remember? I know, I know we met. I can't remember what it was. It used to be called ACCI or something like that. Yes. Yeah, probably Chicago. before it was called CHA. Yes. Yes. Okay. We met okay. face-to-face. And I also sent a proposal to the magazine. You sent a beautiful proposal to the magazine. We received many proposals, Renee, and yours was standout-ish. So, <laughs> so um, that, that's how I remember. And we've, yeah. what, how do they say, and, we've been together ever since? <laughs> Yes, that's right. And you went on to, to author, I remember two books. Is that correct? Yeah, two books. Um, and I think uh, I told I told my husband, I said, I, I want to message Renee and see if she'll come talk on my podcast. He goes, I love the Pearsons. Make sure you say hello to Kent, you know? So the reason my husband knows you is because we, we took an epic trip. Now, this was not associated with the magazine. This was a couple years later um, teaching for big picture classes. And we were invited to come down to um, Australia and New Zealand. Yep. And uh, and we taught several classes, and you taught the digital scrapbooking classes on that that trip. And it, yep. it was just so fun. We just it was just a you know anytime you travel with someone, you obviously get to know them on a different level. And it was a fun trip because we both had our husbands there. So mm-hmm. I have many many happy memories with Renee Pierce. 
Um, but I am I'm, I have reached out to you most recently this weekend, probably for listeners that they'll know for obvious reasons, for the, the horrifying things that have been happening, well, that have happened recently. But when I first um, called you this morning, you said something to me that, and this has just been a huge learning curve for me over the last couple of days. <clears throat> you said something to me, and I, I'm going to introduce it, and then if I say it wrong, I want you to correct me and then just share but I said, I'm reaching out, Renee. Thank you so much for talking to me. You know, I said, I have so much to learn. I'm so horrified by recent events. I'm glad, Stacy, that you're horrified, right? It's not just recent events for me. Right. Is that fair? We, that is will you fair. take it from there and share a little bit about... Yeah. Um, Let me just start by saying I wasn't shocked. Yeah. There are many in the country who appear to be shocked. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't shocked. This is something that has been going on my whole life. I grew up in Jim Crow South. We had experiences like this all the time. I've been afraid for my sons since the day they were born. We have to raise our children to know how to survive in white America. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean, and I'm not talking about career-wise, but in their, to, to save their lives, to keep themselves alive. I've been afraid for my two sons since the day they were born because I know that any day they could walk outside and not provoke anything and have terrible things happen to them. Um, I think, you know, I've lived through Jim Crow South. I actually grew up in Florida where mm-hmm. there were Jim Crow laws in effect. Uh, my husband's uncle was the um, head of the NAACP in our hometown of Jacksonville. He was on his way to the Poor People's March in Memphis when Dr. King was assassinated. Mm-hmm. And my um, husband's uncle actually died of, it was supposedly an automobile accident, but it's questionable how he died, whether there was, he was run off the road. Um, He was very visible in the civil rights movement. You know, this this touches close to home. Uh, My husband demonstrated in Florida uh, when he was a teenager, when he was Mm -hmm. a young man. So we've watched and participated in events like this (laughs) that we're we're seeing today. for years and years and years. Now pay attention to what Renee is going to say next. I had another conversation this last weekend with my friend Angela, who is also black, and she has expressed the same sentiment. So this is one of my key takeaways. Listen. I don't know how to tell my white friends what they need to do. I don't have answers and I don't think it's my responsibility Right. To do that either. Right. Um, we have enough on our plate. I know that there are problems in this country that have existed since 1619, which was when the first slaves were brought to this country. We have been fighting for equality, for recognition, for nothing more than to accept that we are human beings and we deserve everything that human beings deserve. There are systems in our country that have been built and sustained for many years. What Mm -hmm. we're seeing now 
with the demonstrations are people saying, this is it enough. We can't have this anymore. I've seen that before. So for me, I don't, I don't know how to have hope. I, ha I, I try to make myself have hope, but I've been disappointed so many times. I can't say that there hasn't been progress because there has, but I don't expect big change quickly. My children, on the other hand, and we've been, because of the COVID thing, we've been kind of distancing ourselves from each other. They all, they live, two of my children live here. One lives in Europe. But the two that are here, we've had this ongoing text message exchange between my two kids and my husband and I for, oh, wow, since Friday now, where we discuss what's going on. Right. And um, they've got different opinions than I have. In, in what way? <laughs> they are, they remind me of me when I was much younger. I was pretty radical. When I was in my uh, freshman year in college and my sophomore year in college, I was pretty radical. Okay. Do, do you mean by that when you say when you say that your children remind you of you at a younger mm -hmm. age? Mm -hmm. Are you saying that they that they do have a hope or that they're just they're willing, they're willing to, to engage and, and work for it? They're willing to do whatever mm -hmm. it takes. My daughter is an academic, okay, so and she's an intellectual. My son, on the other hand, is a producer in the music industry. <laughs> uh -huh. So their, their outlook, their approach to things are, are very different. But uh -huh. as a family, you know, we know, we know what's going on. Um, there are so many things that need to be. It's not just about police brutality, which it is. That's a huge thing. A huge piece of it. But it is so all-encompassing that it can become overwhelming. And sometimes that's how I feel, overwhelmed, when I hear that the majority of the casualties from COVID-19 are in right. the black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. There's no underlying health conditions that make us more susceptible than anybody else. There's uh, the healthcare system in our country. There's right. the policing system, as we, we have already talked about, in our country. There is mm -hmm. the congressional system in our country. Um, there, it, it is so important who you vote for. Okay. As Black people, there's a reason we are predominant. I mean, overwhelmingly mm -hmm. in support of the Democratic Party. It's not. I mean, we. We literally vote for our lives. We, um, so where white people, I think, have the luxury of looking at both candidates and saying, well, you know, I like this guy's ideas better than this guy's ideas. And you kind of put them on an equal footing and you pick the one you like the best. Uh -huh. For us, it's not like that. For us, it's, this is the guy who's on my side. This is the guy who understands what mm -hmm. we've been going through. This is the guy who's been involved and been present. This is who I'm voting for. So it's a whole different way of looking at life in America. Right. I think I spoke, mentioned to you earlier that uh, when I was growing up, you know, your friendly neighborhood police officer didn't exist. You said that to me, Renee, and I'm going to ask you to say it again to everyone. 
I just automatically, if when my children were about the age where they could walk to school or, you know, could just be away from me for, you know, some time, I, I actually said to them, if you ever are in trouble and you, you know, you can't get a hold of me and this is all pre cell phone days, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to look for a police officer. So tell me the difference. What, what conversation did you have with your children? Um, well, we didn't, we didn't talk about find your friendly neighborhood police officer or find a police officer. That was never in, I mean, that was just not the solution for us. So we didn't have that to fall back on. Uh, Our kids had to be safe. They had to be with groups. They had to Mm -hmm. learn to, if, if the, you know, instead of saying find the police officer to help you, our conversation was about what to do if a police officer approaches you. Wow. How do you, what, what do you not do? You do not mm-hmm. question. You do not argue. You do, and, you know, when mm-hmm. kids are a certain age, they're pretty hot-headed. I don't care what color they are. You know, they believe that if they haven't done anything wrong, they should stand there and defend themselves. Mm-hmm. That's not what we have to tell our kids, you can't do that. I can't have you doing that. Um, so that's just one little thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that affects, you know, my kids' childhood experiences, my childhood experiences, and how we grow up viewing law enforcement. Now, that doesn't mean that there are wonderful police officers. I believe there are. I believe the majority of them are. But yeah. we never know which one we're going to get. We never know. That's very well said. Yeah. So. Um, wow, Renee, thank you. I, and I just want to um, <clears throat> want to ask you before I let you go. I just love hearing your voice. I love hearing this perspective because it is so very different from mm-hmm. mine. So, you know, and what else can I share or what else would you love to share that maybe would help people who listen to me get started on a in, headed in a better direction. Wow. Well, you know, like I told you before, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think that, I don't spend time thinking about that, to be perfectly honest. We have right. enough on our plate. Learn as much as you can. Make yourself aware of the reality of life in America, that it is not just your personal experience. Well, the, and I love just the way that you said that just now. There. There isn't just one quote unquote life in America. <laughs> you, yeah. And okay. um, I, I posted actually on my Instagram yesterday two organizations. I mean, because people have been asking me, well, what should I do? Where, where can I start? And there are two organizations. Mm-hmm. One is Black Lives Matter. I'm sure everybody's heard of mm-hmm. that group. And the mm-hmm. other is Color of Change. They're okay. both on Instagram and they're both, they both have websites and there's ways to, if you don't want to personally, you know, go out and protest, there are other things that you can do. There's petitions that you can sign. There's, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot to do. There definitely is a lot to do. So I want to give you an example of how something can go better and how we can move in the direction of more equality and how we can hold some of our systems accountable. 
Renee and I talked about the incident in Atlanta, Georgia, the evening that a curfew was put in place when excessive force was demonstrated by police officers uh, when they pulled two young college students from their car. Listen now as she describes her daughter's feelings about this incident. So anyway, my daughter told me that when she, when she saw that, she woke up Sunday morning and she saw that, or maybe it was Saturday morning, I don't remember, but when she woke up and saw that, it just, she remembered and she could feel the fear that those kids must have felt because the same thing had happened to her without the violence. Oh. When she went to college, she went to Spelman, her boyfriend went to Morehouse, they were out, they were together in the car and they were stopped by police. They, there was no violence. They did not provoke any violence, but she huh. understood the fear that you feel when the police yeah. approach the car in an aggressive manner. Okay, I just want to interject one more time. Gratefully, in the aftermath of this incident in Atlanta, the chief of police, Erica Shields, and the mayor, Keisha Bottoms, were swift and decisive in taking appropriate action. I believe, like Renee, that the vast majority of police officers in this country are good and they're interested in upholding the law in a fair and equitable way. They continually put their lives on the line to keep the peace. But one of the best things we can do to protect the good police officers is take swift and decisive action when officers demonstrate excessive violence and misuse the power that they've been given. Now, I know that you don't need me to read the news to you, but I want to share just a portion of what Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz said after charges were increased for the police officers involved in George Floyd's death. He said, George Floyd's death is the symptom of a disease. We will not wake up one day and have the disease of systemic racism cured for us. This is on each of us to solve together, and we have hard work ahead. Now, when I read that, I thought, so interesting that this is happening, unfolding in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. We can't just go on life as usual and expect COVID-19 to just be cured. The whole reason that our life has been turned upside down is because we understand that in order to make progress against the disease of COVID-19, we all have to play our part. For me, there is an obvious parallel there. There is a part, a role for each of us to play if we are going to cure the disease of racism in this country. And I am not speaking from experience. I'm speaking from brand new learning. But I want to know and better understand what my role is and what my role can be. And I'm inviting you to do the same. Okay, back to Renee. So that's, that's a story that, you know, and those are the things that I'm always afraid of as a mother. Yeah. Exactly that happening to my children. Exactly that. Okay. But uh, yeah, there's there's lots and lots and lots of of stories. Everybody has stories. Mm-hmm. We call it, well, by the way, we call it driving while black. Driving while black. And every black person knows what that means. After talking to Renee, I asked my friend Angela about driving while black, and she chuckled and shared one 
of her stories. This is our opportunity, you guys, simply to ask questions, to ask about experiences, and then to listen. Okay, so Renee, before I let you go, I want you to just, um, I, I ask podcast guests to fill in, fill in a blank for me. I want you to say, I have exactly enough time for, and then just let us know what it is. Hmm. I have exactly enough time for life. Mm, that's beautiful thank you my friend appreciate it <laughs> I hope this isn't a flash in the pan I hope this is truly a moment you know what I mean where where we can begin to turn this beast around and just yep. get people that's listening and talking and not feeling uncomfortable everything that I've been listening to I, I seriously feel a, I feel a change in myself because it's always made me uncomfortable and I haven't known what to do about it but I haven't taken the step to learn. You know what I mean? So I think if anything, or I hope if anything, what happens now is we get more people like me willing to explore why we're uncomfortable and then take some, take some steps. Yep. So that's what I want to do. Yep. And I appreciate you yep. being willing to help me do it. Sure. Not talking about it is never the right. I accidentally cut Renee off. Not talking about it is never the right thing to do. That's what she said. Oh, wow, right? So so now what? I think that's a really good question to pose for ourselves. Um, because I think what's going to matter is what happens for each of us when these events are no longer at the center of the news cycle. What are we going to do then? And for me, I keep thinking about some of the things that my life coach, Jody Moore, and she's been on my podcast before, some of the things that she's taught me about my thoughts. I love the idea of just paying attention or watching our thoughts. Did you know that a belief is just a thought you keep on thinking? And so is a bias. So. I'm committing to, and I would invite you to commit to begin by being super curious about your own thoughts. When you have a thought, when I have a thought, even an instinct, it's just a sentence in our brain. So let's stop and ask ourselves, why, why is that there? The way to challenge thoughts that become beliefs and biases is to just introduce new thoughts. And new thoughts come from new information. So we're all familiar with the words prejudice, which is simply a judgment ahead of time, or discrimination, which is the unjust or prejudiced treatment of someone or of a person or a group of people. Discrimination is based on race or racism. And the, and prejudice and discrimination don't have to be overt. They can, they can just be almost automatic based on our thoughts. Let's start challenging our thoughts. There's a really interesting resource. Um, it was created at Harvard University. It's an online test. Actually, it's a series of several online tests that measure implicit bias. It's called the Implicit Association Test, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes and super encourage you to go 
take this test or a couple of these tests. It, it says on the website that the IAT may be especially interesting if it shows that you have an implicit attitude that you did not know about. For example, you may believe that women and men should be equally associated with science, but your automatic associations could show you that, like many others, you associate men with science more than you associate women with science. So you guys, I'm gonna be honest that I took the IAT that showed me my associations around race and my results indicate that I have a slight automatic preference for European Americans over African Americans. That's an uncomfortable discovery. That's not something I would have admitted to or even really known about a week ago. What's interesting is just before you take a test, you read a sentence that says, because the implicit association test sometimes reveals troubling aspects of human nature, it poses the possibility of causing discomfort. I love the quote though that says that there is no growth in the comfort zone. There's very little comfort in the growth zone. I think we probably all have some room for growth. Now, the last thing I wanna share with you is just a few ideas around the concept of white privilege. This has been something that I have not understood in the past. It's certainly something that when it's brought up prior to last week, I didn't acknowledge because I didn't understand. So again, I'm going to link to just a couple of resources, but I read an article by Dolly Chu in the Harvard Business Review. Part of it says, each of us has some part of our identity which requires little attention to protecting ourselves from danger, discrimination, or doltish humor. For example, in America, if you are white or Christian or able-bodied or straight or English-speaking, these particular identities are easy to forget. It's just an ordinary way of being. Ordinary privilege is ordinary because it blends in with the norms and the people around us and thus is easily forgotten. Just about every person in America has one form of this ordinary privilege or another. This is nothing to be ashamed of or to deny, even though it can often feel like an accusation. Ordinary privilege is actually an opportunity. Research repeatedly confirms that those with ordinary privilege have the power to speak up on behalf of those without it and have particularly effective influence when they do. For so many of us looking for an opportunity to fight bigotry and bias in the workplace or in our broader culture, we may be missing the opportunity staring back at us in the mirror, using the ordinary nature of who we are as a, as a source of extraordinary power. Okay, this is what else I've learned. White privilege does not mean that you're unkind. It does not mean that you're not hardworking. It does not mean that your accomplishments shouldn't be recognized and applauded. It does not mean that you're ungrateful. It simply means that you're white. And because of this, the color of your skin 
you have privileges that others do not have. In an article for Psychology Today, Miki Kashtan wrote, privilege is socially given. It's not chosen and it's independent of attitude or belief system. Believing in equality between the races in the U.S., for example, does not cancel the privilege of a white person. But please, and this is now Stacy talking, <laughs> this is what I'm learning. Don't waste time and energy on guilt, shame, defensiveness, or invisibility. These represent some of the most negative ways to deal with privilege. I have four adult sons, white males. Are they supposed to walk around feeling bad for existing? No, absolutely not. But they do need to understand what privilege is. And I love the visual imagery created by Peggy McIntosh when she describes white privilege as, quote, an invisible package of unearned assets that I can count on cashing in each day, about which I was meant to remain oblivious. White privilege is like an invisible, weightless knapsack of special provisions, maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. Okay, so one of the most positive things we can do with privilege, this invisible knapsack of access tools, is to make a conscious choice in how you view it. We need to shift our thinking from this is something that is mine to this is something that I am a steward over. I am and I will be accountable for how I spend my privilege cash, how I use these asset tools. I get to choose and my sons get to choose what kind of steward they will be. In the Bible, there is a parable of the talents where three servants are given five, two, and one talents, or think about it, a five, two, and one portion of what could be anything really, privilege. Their master takes a journey and when he returns, he rewards them, but not so much for the actual increase of the goods, the privilege, but the choice to be an active steward. Go read it. It's in Matthew chapter 14 and think about how it relates to the access that we have as white citizens in the United States. I was taught and have taught my children that where much is given, much is expected. And when I sometimes feel overwhelmed by that expectation, I actually like to flip the saying around and remind myself that where much is expected, much is given. Trust me when I tell you <laughs> that I have been consumed with this opportunity to listen and to learn and that I have initiated so many different conversations in our home. My four very privileged boys are probably wishing they weren't so privileged so mom would leave them be. But I can't do that anymore. I now know more than I did a week ago and I'm so grateful for that. I'm going to leave you with just a couple of things that I've read. The first, Michael Jordan, quote, I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength and the inability to be divided by others. 
Jordan goes on, we must listen to each other, show compassion and empathy, and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. We need to continue peaceful expressions against injustice and demand accountability. Our unified voice needs to put pressure on our leaders to change our laws, or else we need to use our vote to change, I'm sorry, create systemic change. Every one of us needs to be a part of the solution, and we must work together to ensure justice for all. Russell M. Nelson, president of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, posted to social media, The creator of us all calls on each of us to abandon attitudes of prejudice against any group of God's children. Any of us who has prejudice toward another race needs to repent. During the Savior's earthly mission, he constantly ministered to those who were excluded, marginalized, judged, overlooked, abused, and discounted. As his followers, and I strive to be one, can we do anything less? The answer is no. We believe in freedom, kindness, and fairness for all of God's children. Let us be clear. We are brothers and sisters. Each of us is the child of a loving Father in heaven. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, invites all to come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. It behooves each of us to do whatever we can in our spheres of influence to preserve the dignity and respect every son and daughter of God deserves. And finally, I want to read a post from my niece, Nika. She posted, The story of race is not mine to tell, but this weekend I did have some eye-opening experiences about privilege. On Saturday afternoon, I walked to the gas station across the street to get a Gatorade for my sick husband. As the cars watched me cross, I thought of how I had no anxiety about appearing suspicious at all, and I thought of Trayvon for the whole rest of the day. On Friday, I went for a run in my own neighborhood in broad daylight. I thought of Ahmad the whole way back. That same night, I went to pick up some takeout late at night, past 11 p.m. I sat in my car afterwards for a few minutes, longer than normal, just thinking, and registered that someone else in my same age category in my exact position, but with different colored skin, may have to worry that sitting in their car in a dark parking lot would get them labeled, again, suspicious. Going on a run shouldn't be a privilege. We all know, but now we are vocalizing it. She goes on, it's getting late and it makes me feel heavy, but it does help to know that lots of my friends and I are more actively learning and unlearning behaviors, subconscious or not, and beliefs that are harmful. After the week of posts are over, I will still be thinking about this weekend and recognizing ways to act. At the end of her post, Nika writes, thanks for the resources everyone has shared from the POC accounts. So in our conversation, Renee mentioned that it's difficult for her to have hope. It's not difficult for me because of people like Nika and because of the conversations I have had in our home with my sons over the past week. We can absolutely learn and change and make a difference, however 
small. Let's remember Renee's advice. Learn as much as you can. Make yourself aware of the reality of life in America, that it is not just your personal experience. Okay, you guys, this is what I believe. It is our job to care and to figure out what to do next and how to help. Let's just stay present and stay engaged. We have exactly enough time. Thank you so much for listening. I am eager to hear your thoughts and continue this conversation. I will be back next week with another episode of Exactly Enough Time.